Hello, tree lovers. I'd like to draw your attention today to a special oak tree in Poland, a Quercus rober, which we call English oak here in the United States. It was named the European Tree of the Year for 2023, and it resides in the city of Lutz, which I learned is correctly pronounced Łódź in Polish, spelled L-O-D-Z with accents added to some of the letters. To win, it received over 45,000 votes from people all across Europe, more than the second and third place trees combined. That is mind-blowing to me that that many people tuned in and were inspired to vote for a tree. And I've got one of the contest coordinators here to tell us how it all works. I also spoke to the entrepreneurial young man who nominated the oak tree, as well as the leader of Club Gaia, the nonprofit that helped promote its cause. Lastly, the director of the Environmental Management Division from Wuch describes how the people of the city identify with their old arboreal denizen. But clearly it doesn't stop there, as its story captured the hearts of people across Poland and frankly around the world. I try to find out why. Coming up, the Fabricant Oak. I'm Doug Still, and this is This Old Tree. This old tree Standing here for more than four centuries Wonder what you'd say if you could talk to me About what it's like to be this old tree Fabrikant in Polish means manufacturer or factory owner. In fact, the Fabrikant Oak is adjacent to a large old mill and two historic villas owned by the factory's owners that now belong to the Łódź University of Technology. So you can bet we are going to get into some history. But first, a description so you can picture it. The tree is the centerpiece of a small park accessible by the public, and it is magnificent. One guess is that it is 160 years old, or even older, but its age is uncertain. It stands 22 meters, or 72 feet high, 179 centimeters, or 57 inches in diameter, with a spread of 30 meters, or 98 feet at its widest point. The open-grown oak tree appears to have never been pruned, except probably for dead branches, allowing its lowest limbs to spread far, wide, and strong. In fact, one low branch in particular is a showstopper. With a curvy S-shape described as sigmoid, it extends horizontally about 72 feet across the lawn, ending with an upturn over the pedestrian path, making people duck. It's as if the tree is reaching for human contact, tapping you on the shoulder to say, Hey, notice me over here. People come from all over to visit for its beauty alone, especially in the spring when the cameras come out to capture the tree surrounded by a carpet of blue Siberian squill blooms. Everyone I talk to mentions that. No question, the Fabricant Oak is stunning. Is that why it receives so many votes? To get a better understanding of what the contest actually is, I spoke to Adam Holub, the coordinator of the European Tree of the Year and all of its public relations. He works for a nonprofit called the Environmental Partnership Foundation, which is based in the Czech Republic and sponsors the competition. Adam actually lives in Brussels, where he represents the organization at the EU level. He was kind enough to talk to me. Hi, Adam. Welcome to this old tree. Hey, thank you for having me. To start off, what is the Environmental Partnership Association and what is its mission? So the Environmental Partnership Association is a consortium of several like-minded environmental foundations or organizations. It, they were set up in the 90s uh, with the help of uh, German Marshall Fund and the CS Mott Foundation and several other philanthropic foundations from the United States. And their mission, their individual mission of all these different national foundations and organizations is, among other things, education, in the sort of broader sense of the word, in the environmental sphere. There's a lot of emphasis on participation of the public 
in the decision-making processes, again, as they relate to the public space or the environment, together form this association, which then in turn is responsible for European Tree of the Year. But I'm sure we'll be getting to that soon. Yeah. Uh, how did the European Tree of the Year contest come about? Well, so the the roots of the European Tree of the Year uh, reach all the way to a city called Brno in the Czech Republic, in Moravia, Eastern Czech Republic, where in the early 2000s, people working in the Czech Environmental Partnership Foundation, so the, so the Czech mutation uh, of these uh, organizations, had the idea to sort of revive these local traditions uh, that had to do with uh, decorating and celebrating trees and to give it a bit of a more contemporary spin. So in 2002, they came up with this essentially Czech Tree of the Year competition and started running it and have been running it since. Sure. So that's been going on for 23 years or 22 years. Exactly. And then uh, as it uh, started getting momentum in 2011, the first European level contest uh, took place, which basically treats the national rounds, which have spread to uh, to 16, perhaps even this year, 17 uh, countries. It treats these uh, national contests as sort of national rounds that select the the participant trees for the for the pan-European, or I say pan-European, the caveat being that no country is per se excluded, but it also depends on whether the country has an organization that participates. So, so each country needs to have their own Tree of the Year contest first, and then the winner of that branches off into the European Tree of the Year contest. Can more than one tree be submitted at one time? There's just the one tree. No, they, they only submit one tree at a time. I see. Uh, so this is a competition for trees with an important story, right? It's not just about a tree's size or beauty. It's about, uh, well, what are the criteria that people vote on? So you said it. If I were to really simplify it, it's about the tree with the strongest story. Now, these stories contain elements of the relationship of the communities that live in their vicinity to the environment, to nature. The stories have to also underpin some kind of relationship within the communities themselves. Or they don't have to, but they usually do. That That is what is uh, being appreciated. So it's about trees and people and culture. Exactly. And the, the relationship between them... Uh, how do the finalists get promoted and how do people vote? So this is a voting competition. Yes. So the organizations that nominate the trees that have actually, that had organized their national rounds are also responsible for the promotion. They can do that in whatever way they wish. Uh, social media is very popular. And there is, of course, also the promotion by the Environmental Partnership Association and the Czech Environmental Partnership Foundation, which sort of more generally promotes the contest as a whole and always mentions all the different trees that that um, compete, for the lack of a better word. Right. So there's an online, there's a website, I bet. Treeoftheyear.org is the website for anyone who would be interested. Uh, that's the website of the European level uh, of the contest. And then you vote using your email. It's been always the case that everyone was supposed to vote for two different trees. So you have the finalists from all the different European countries. And in order to avoid, you know, everyone just giving it to their tree, uh, we included this rule that you need to choose two trees. And what happens when they win? Is there a celebration? There is an embargo on the results for a while, right until the end of March, the the final phase of the voting is secret as well, so that uh, no one knows uh, who's who's the winner. And then end of March or second half of March, there is a ceremony, an award ceremony, which usually takes place in the building of the European Parliament in Brussels. I see, and that's where you are. 
And that's where I come into it. Uh, that's uh, when it becomes my responsibility to make sure that uh, we have uh, the relevant members of the parliament on board, that we have the representatives of the European Commission on board, ministers. That's wonderful. I bet there are great photos of these celebrations. Indeed. And what's even more important for me about them is that it's these members of the local communities that reach out and nominate their trees to the national contest that are then invited to the the European Parliament and they get to meet all these stakeholders, all these decision makers or co-decision makers. And uh, it creates uh, rather wonderful moments and opportunities for for, uh, people who would not normally meet to come together and share share their appreciation of, of trees and nature and yeah, it's an opportunity for advocacy. Absolutely, absolutely. That that is what it is, and and it's one of the one of the main aims of the of the award ceremony itself to to create such such space. What is special about the fabricant oak? For me, an interesting thing about the oak fabricant is that it does not immediately fit the the usual tree of the year profile. If you look at the different uh, the different contenders, you see that more often uh, you find them in the rural areas, or uh, sometimes outright uh, in the wilderness. The, the 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 link between them and the the local communities, the local community is a, a looser one. It's not something that you see every day necessarily, or or it's not an object, the, the tree that you would uh, come into physical contact with so often. While the the tree in Wuj is a tree in the middle of the city, and the community is the whole city, one of the biggest uh, cities in Poland, by the way, and uh, quite a breathtaking one, uh, especially if you know its history. And it's a city that has been through ups and downs at some point, uh, it would uh, have industries that uh, would, uh, to, to, compared to which uh, some of the most memorable uh, industrial cities, uh, industrial revolution cities in the UK would be considered uh, local towns. And it was, in fact, on the um, property of a factory. Exactly. This magnific- magnificent little bit of nature is part of this uh, is vibrant industrial post-industrial mosaic and and that that uh, stretches for me this imagination on on behalf of of our polish colleagues what the european tree uh, can also be about uh, in terms of the relationship of the community and nature by placing it outright in the most urban context you can imagine and i think it's beautiful because you can see that even there it still fits and even there the story is still strong and uh, even though it still makes the point. Why do you think this tree has special meaning to the people of Poland? I think that this tree has a special meaning to the people of Łódź. That is an important part of it. It is understandable, as I said. It, it's, it's a tree uh, that uh, is a symbol of a city with a rich history, uh, one that has gone through ups and downs. It, it connects to a strong sense of identity. So the Fabrikan Oak symbolizes a rich urban history, one with many ups and downs. After my chat with Adam, though, I of course wondered, what is the history of Wuch? And what's the tree's story? When I started to do some research, I discovered something curious. Websites and articles about the new European Tree of the Year were very celebratory, but specifics about its actual history were not to be found. Whose tree was this? What was the factory next door? What took place here? Searching more, I did find that the tree is essentially sandwiched between two historic villas built around the turn of the 20th century and that still stand today as part of the park. They were owned by the Richter brothers, Josef and Reinhold. They were factory owners, and their grandparents came from Ceska Lipa in the northern part of the Czech Republic near the border with Germany, essentially Bohemia. The family built and managed several factories in Wuch, including the one near the tree, which was part of their garden. Beyond that, very little information was to be found about who Josef and Reinhold were. I thought I'd ask Przemek Bartos, the person who originally submitted the tree as a candidate for Poland Tree of the Year. 
I also just wanted to meet him and find out what inspired him to do so. Major respect is due for his bravery to be interviewed in English, although it was tough to include our whole conversation. Shemek, welcome to the show. Welcome. I'm so glad you could join me today to talk about um, Oak Fabricant. Uh, first of all, I would like to uh, thank you for uh, inviting me to this uh, conversation. Um, so it's uh, a great honor for me, but it's also a, a little stressful situation uh, because uh, all my activities in uh, Poland, I uh, I create in, in Polish language and my English language is still developing, and uh, but I try, try to be better. Well, you're doing just fine. It sounds great. And sorry, I don't know Polish. It's no problem. <laughs> um, could you introduce yourself and what you do? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, I am author and uh, creator a fan page and blog Przyroda dla Sosnowca in uh, English Nature for uh, Sosnowiec. Uh, Sosnowiec is the place in Poland uh, in uh, South. In case you didn't catch that, Przemek is from a city south of Łódź called Sosnowiec, and his fan page is called Nature for Sosnowiec. I'll include a link in the show notes. It translates to English. Yes, you you submitted the tree. Yes, 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 of course. In fact, this was the fourth tree he has submitted for the Poland Tree of the Year contest, and he is becoming a self-made expert on the country's historic trees. I am also uh, an uh, ecological educator, and uh, during bird counting, I am a guide. Oh, you're, um, you lead bird counting tours. Yes, yes. And do you also lead tours in Wuch? No, no. Uh, the Łódź is uh, in uh, um, central of Poland, uh, but uh, I'm uh, sometimes go there. Uh, in my opinion, uh, nature's no no borders, uh, and uh, I uh, live in uh, Sosnowiec, and I go to uh, Łódź and uh, submit, uh, for example, trees uh, of uh, this town. I asked him what appealed to him about the Fabricant Oak. Uh, for me, the fabricant oak is an extraordinary tree, and uh, I sometimes I think that uh, is a multidimensional symbol. Um, but uh, for uh, for some, it will be an uh, inspiration to take a beautiful photo. For uh, others, uh, it will be a um, symbol of urban transformation. But for me, when I first uh, time uh, saw its uh, its uh, tree, it, it was a spring photo. Surrounded uh, this tree was uh, a but a huge numerous of blue flowers uh, in Polish śnieżniki and uh, cebulica syboryska. Uh, it's a, a small uh, small flower. Mm, I am I am a gardener and uh, ecologist, uh, so I decided to uh, go there. Fabricant oak is uh, is a central uh, tree of uh, park of uh, Łódź. Uh, is uh, the name of this park is uh, Park uh, Klepacza. Uh, now this uh, place is Politechnika Łódzka, czyli University of uh, Technology in uh, Łódź uh, area. Then I asked him about the Richter brothers. Now it's between two historic villas. Are you familiar with those? When I uh, looking for a more uh, more uh, and a lot of information about this tree, uh, I'm uh, looking for information uh, about uh, Richter family. And uh, Richter family is uh, industrial uh, industrial people who uh, uh, built uh, two villas in Łódź. Uh, now you wrote a blog about this tree, right? When I first uh, time saw uh, Fabricant Oak, I decided to describe this uh, story. In my opinion, uh, a lot of tree is uh, multidimensional, is uh, important uh, to our area. And uh, I I think that uh, people should be uh, protect them. My blog is the platform uh, when I um, create a story about uh, trees, animals, uh, mammals. When you wrote that article, did you look into the Richter brothers at all? Any other information? I find very little information online about them. 
Uh, yes, because uh, the same situation is uh, in a detail family in uh, Poland. A lot of information about this, uh, this and their family uh, destroyed. Uh, it is a, a puzzle. I see. A lot of information was destroyed in the war. Yes, 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 of course. Przemek's love for the tree, I would say, is largely aesthetic and ecological, the beauty of nature in the city. That totally makes sense to me, but it looked like any stories connected with the Richter brothers had been lost. He submitted his nomination for the tree to Club Gaia, the nonprofit organization that spearheads the Polish Tree of the Year contest. Coming up after the break, I speak to Club Gaia's director, Jacek Bozik, where we take a deeper look into the tree's connection to the past more generally. It involves the Industrial Revolution and the oak's survival through Wurch's difficult past. You're listening to This Old Tree. Welcome to the show. Oh, to the show. Sounds very good. Okay, <laughs> I am very happy that I can be in show. Welcome, welcome. Could you introduce yourself and your organization and what you do? Oh, it's a long story. I suppose uh, hmm, now I'm leader of uh, my organization because I establish uh, Club Gaia. The Polish name is Club Gaia, we can say Gaia Club in in English. I established this organization 36 years ago. Wow. And it was completely different situation because it was in communist time. And I established this organization in underground. And for for us, for, for me and for my friends uh, who cooperate with, with me, the most important thing was animals, trees, rivers, things like that. Environmental issues. Yes, environmental and animal rights. And we still work on the same same level. And we lead some programs, some campaigns on the environmental platform or animals rights platform. And where are you based? Wow. <laughs> Maybe somebody will be know. Uh, this is a uh, south part of Poland, very close to the border with Czech and Slovakia border, uh, Beskide Mountains, uh, very close to Bielsko-Biała, very small village, Wilkowice. Gotcha, gotcha. And... Um... Is Club Gaia involved in the arts at all, or is it mainly environmental? Oh, this is the maybe uh, our very important for ourselves, for people who worked in Gaia Club. That uh, when I was young, uh, I was the an actor of the pantomime theater, and my partner is a painter, and we still use the theater. We still use the art for our activity, if we want to tell people about climate changes, about uh, uh, animals' rights, different things, the art is very good, very good uh, platform for that. And we still use uh, art for our activity. Great way to bring it alive for people, help them understand it. Yes, yes, and especially if you work, and we work with the young people, we work in, with the schools, even with the kindergartens. And this is very useful and very easy way for involve people to a social activity because uh, you, you, you have to show people that an environment uh, is uh, very, uh, very important. Uh, many things is very important. They connect to each other. Yes. And so how did you come to the European Tree of the Year contest? Or perhaps first it was the Poland Tree of the Year contest? Have to be like that. You are, this is the good question because uh, 
uh, every countries who are part of um, context of uh, European Tree of the Year, they need they need uh, the same competition. Maybe not the same, but the competition for the Tree of the Year on their countries. And Club Gaia uh, lead the competition of the Tree of the Year in Poland. So you must have been thrilled that you won. Wow. This is the very good information, but this is not... I, I say, I say to people, I tell people that this is not uh, only our work because uh, the, the most important for myself, even personally, is involve people to social work. Yeah. And if we um, make the competition in Poland, I told stories around the trees, the trees, trees are very important for the local people have to be like history, culture, music, uh, stories. Absolutely. This is more most important. And uh, this is the, uh, I say, we try build a social movement around the trees because uh, for me it's not important, very important, that the tree is very big, very old. No, the trees need the stories. The trees need connection with people. Oh, of course, be, because uh, for more than 20 years, we have the program uh, in Polish language called Święto Drzewa. It's a not easy translate to English, but we call Tree Day. Tree Day. We have in Poland more than 21 years now in, and we involve the whole Poland, many local authorities, big cities, small villages, and people um, plant the trees, make the gardens, uh, many different activities. And one part of our, our work on this program is the competition about the trees. It's sort of like our Arbor Day. In late April. Yes, yes. What's special about this tree, the oak fabricant that caught your attention? What's the story behind it? Wow, this is the really, really important tree. This is not really important tree only for Łódź. Łódź is a, one of the biggest Polish town. Uh, this is the uh, really big, uh, big city. And... Oak Fabricant is a part of the whole story uh, because this is the part of the history of the of the Wuch. And the uh, most important thing for that connected with uh, uh, economic history of the Wuch, which was the uh, a very important city for pro producing wool, producing things like that. In the Industrial Revolution. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, and uh, now this park is uh, uh, part of Polytechnic of Wuch. And uh, for many, many people is an important tree because one of the branch shape is 20 meters long. Uh, if you walk to the park, you have to even uh, look for your head. Uh, this is really, really big branch. It's between two villas, Joseph and Reinhold Richter. Yes, this is true because what um, Wuch, like you, you said, is true was the one of the very important part of a uh, revolution. And the most of the factories was built by Germans, Russians, Jewish people, Polish people. It was very, very important place like the, that many different interests. And uh, the story of the, of the tree 
is uh, uh, very connected to the story of the business people from, from that period of the history. A short aside here. In the 19th century, which was a major manufacturing center in one of the most densely populated cities in Europe, due to its rivers and supply of water, it was an ideal location for wool and cotton mills that manufactured textiles distributed around the world, but mainly for Russia. Most workers came from rural areas to experience city life for the first time. The importance of which as an industrial center is described in this newspaper article from Manchester, Britain's manufacturing powerhouse, published on December 30, 1895. The most rapidly progressive industrial center in the Russian Empire, writes the Daily News Odessa correspondent, is Wuch in the government of Petrokow in Poland, commonly and deservedly known as the Russian Manchester. Thirty years ago, Wuch was little more than an overgrown village, whilst it now has a population of over 300,000 souls. In the town of Wuch, 118 factories annually produce woolen goods to the value of 28 million rubles, whilst the various products of 56 cotton mills are valued at 45 million rubles. The majority of the large manufacturers and manufacturing companies are foreigners. The old and important trade of Moscow is every year declining before the strong and successful competition of Wuch. Now, is the factory that they owned right next door or nearby? Yes, this is true, because most of the owners of the factories in Wuch, they build their villas very close to the factories, because whole Wuch was established from nothing. It was like, (laughs) you know, meadows. Yeah, it was just a tiny hamlet before the Industrial Revolution, I understand. Yes, yes. but they need a lot of water to the production of wool and other things. And the which was very good place because it was plenty of streams, uh, small rivers, and they decided, okay, we want to build a new, completely new city on this place. We want to make uh, money, <laughs> money. Of course, it was the culture culture story. Like like people who live on the on the villages in our era, they build a house very close to their fields, you know. And the many years ago, uh, I suppose people have the connection, hard connection with their business. This is not like today that business is you know is as international. You able to make business from village in the big city like New York, yeah? Right. So that's how the tree got its name. Fabrikant means in Polish language, the business person, owner of the place, the business person who own the big factory, fabrikant. If the factory owners came to Wuch to get rich, you can bet they built their fortunes on the backs of poor workers. Nowhere is this better captured than a novel published in 1899 called The Promised Land. It was written by Polish author and Nobel laureate Władysław Raymond, and it was considered one of his most important works. It was made into a famous movie in 1975 of the same name, and everyone in Poland knows it. It tells the story of three close friends as ruthless, budding industrialists, a Pole, a German, and a Jew, who are struggling to find the capital to build their own factory. As portrayed by Raymond in vivid detail, it is a dark, heartless world. There is only one English translation of the novel, published in 1927. Remarkably, I was able to find it. Chin up, here's how it starts. was awakening. One first shrill blast rending the silence of the small hours and followed by the ululations of sirens all over the town, noisier and still more noisy, tearing and ripping the air to tatters with their harsh uncouth din. With long dark bodies and slender upstanding necks looming out of the night, the fog and the rain, the big factories were slowly rousing up scintillating with many a flame 
and beginning to live and move amid the darkness. A thin March rain, not without sleet, was falling, falling, covering woods with thick, viscid mistiness, pattering upon the iron plate roofs, pouring thence down to the pavements and the black, miry, sloughy streets, streaming down the bare tree trunks, marshaled in low rows close to the walls and shivering in the cold and tossed about by the wind. The wind that now swept the thoroughfares buried in ooze, now rattled and shook the fences and now tried the roofs, or again would swoop into the quagmire or howl through the branches of a tree. Borowiecki, awakening, struck a light just as the alarm clock set up a furious whirring and ringing announcing 5 a.m. What would have been like for the workers in the factory? What would what was life like? There's a book called The Promised Land. That's a famous book in Poland, right? Ah, Ziemia Obiecana, Promised Land, uh, Ziemia Obiecana. Yeah, it was the book and the beautiful, beautiful movie, uh, very important uh, for 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 us. This is the long story, because in the that time which was the part uh, part of uh, Russia. It was uh, a completely different uh, story. The Poland not existing, yeah? Uh, a very important thing, it was that different people from different nations, like Polish people, Germans, uh, Russians, uh, and uh, a lot of Jewish people, they cooperate together because they want to be uh, rich, famous. Of course, on that time for workers, for workers, it was something, um, I don't know which way I'm able to explain because mo- most of the people who work, work in these uh, factories it was people from villages, very, very poor people. And they have to change their life, their culture, they uh, everything, yeah? Because they, they move from the very simple life on villages, very poor villages. We have to know very poor villages. Farms. Yes, maybe even not farms because the, the, that people haven't land. They work for mm. farmers. They uh, work for uh, farm owners and they change their life. It was very, very special culture, uh, culture time uh, for, for this city. And there was the promise of a better life to work in a factory and earn some money. I suppose... For that kind of people who was very poor, it, it was it was possibility for change, uh, change maybe not their life but life of their uh, their uh, children, because they uh, they started complete completely new life, completely new life for them. This story hit home for me recently. I do some of my research and writing at a co-working space for writers called Lit Arts Rhode Island, a wonderful place for creators that even has a recording studio. It's not far from where I live in Providence. Like Wuch, Providence's population exploded during the Industrial Revolution, also with the textile trade as its major industry. Workers moved here from the farms, and there were large numbers of Irish and Italian immigrants. Mainly women perform the labor in the textile mills. Lit Arts is located in the Old Mill District in the Valley neighborhood. The factories now converted to condos, offices, and arts-oriented spaces. I decided to walk home after working on this piece. I crossed the Wanasquatucket River, essential to the functioning of the mills. It became heavily polluted during that period, and in fact, one section of it downtown was completely covered over, running underground until it reached the top of Narragansett Bay. The river has since been cleaned up and the river daylighted, spearheading the revival of our city. 
Anyway, I crossed the river and walked past the old mills, imagining horse-drawn carts and old trucks and groups of people and bosses shouting orders. Then I walked up a steep street into a working-class neighborhood of triple-decker homes. I thought of the scores of people making that exact same walk a hundred years ago after a long, grueling day of work, returning to a large family. Then my brain turned elsewhere, to my third great-grandmother. Her name was Clarinda Pixley, whose story I researched about ten years ago. She was one of the famous mill girls of Lowell, Massachusetts. Dirt poor, she came from a farm in New Hampshire to work the cotton mills in Lowell. There she met my third great-grandfather, Benjamin Still, who came down from southern Quebec for the same reason. They quickly got married and escaped back to New Hampshire. In other words, I thought of people everywhere hitching their wagon to modern industry on the promise of a better life, only to experience a different, equally intense struggle. The story of which is not unusual. It's universal. I wish, I wish I could pivot back to the tree in the exciting things happening now in Wuch, but not quite yet. First, a moment to acknowledge the absolute darkest period for Wuch and for Poland after the German invasion of September 1939. The horrific events that unfolded are difficult to comprehend. Under Nazi control, Polish and Jewish establishments were closed, Polish-language newspapers banned, and forced labor imposed on its inhabitants. Polish intellectuals were imprisoned or killed, and Polish children were separated from their parents. Worst of all, the Wuch Ghetto was established in 1940, populated over time with more than 200,000 Jewish people from the city and from the region. People either died within its walls or sent to extermination camps. Only 877 remained to be found when the Soviets arrived in August of 1944. While there were 230,000 Jewish residents of Wuch prior to the war, only about 10,000 survived the Holocaust elsewhere. For all of those people, they must be remembered. We're taking a break. You're listening to This Old Tree. After that, I think all will forgive me for skipping right to the last 10 or 12 years in Wuch, as the city is undergoing exciting changes. With new businesses, students, and arts organizations, it's a different, forward-thinking time. Trees and environmentalism underpin the city's new sense of itself, a key part of the future, says Jacek. Oh, this is this is very 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 good because the Wuch is a one one of the uh, big city in Poland who have the plenty of forest around the around the Wuch, a lot of beautiful forest, and uh, this is this is very important. And the Wuch want to change their image for a city for green city. To find out more, I was lucky enough to speak with the city's director of environmental management, Anna Verzbitska. Impressively, she and her division are taking on big projects. Could you introduce yourself and what you do for the city of Łódź? Yes, my name is Anna Verzbitska, and uh, I lead a department which is responsible for the climate and environment issues in the city hall um, of the city of Łódź. So you must be very proud of this tree for winning. Um, what does the tree mean to the city? You know, this is uh, the 180-year-old uh, oak, which is called Fabrikant. And it is one uh, of the most original trees in Poland and the city's uh, showcase. It's been mentioned that Wuch is embracing environmentalism, and obviously you're very involved in that. Could you describe what you've been doing and what you hope the city could be? For, for me, we are saying in Łódź that the, which is a last undiscovered city. 
you know, because it is a unique city in the entire Polish map, because uh, I think that this is the only city that does not have a market. We are having like the pedestrian street, which is like the main street. So if you go to Krakow or if you go to Poznan, you have a main market. In Łódź, you have a main street called Piotrkowska Street, which is uh, connected with the historical times because in the 19th century, which was created as a kind of an economic zone. So every building was built along this street and we were the second fastest growing city in the world after Chicago because of the fast development of the textile industry. I see. And a lot of the factories were built along that street. Yes, yes. And it was like an industrial street. There is also a famous film called Promised Land. And uh, it explains the textile and factory history of Łódź. And there is a famous saying from this movie. It is called, uh, it states, you have nothing, I have nothing, and he has nothing. So together we have enough to build a factory. And this is the saying that for me is also very up-to-date nowadays. Because we are also involving in our city, for example, I deal with environmental issues and we do also involve business uh, to cooperate with us um, in favor of nature. For example, we are doing some unconcreting um, uh, actions together with business companies who nowadays are more, are more, um, they know more, they feel the essence of uh, uh, climate change and they want to also involve. And this is also some, somehow historical, historically uh, dedicated uh, because uh, everyone here is really, if they started a business here, they're really connected to the city. So this is like a natural historical for me bond led from, I don't know, grandmother, grandfather and grand-grandmother. So it's also very, very unique. There's also a saying that in which everybody knows everybody. So, Right. So there's deep paving work going on, removing yes. the concrete and then planting, planting trees. Yes, yes, we are doing lots of issues connected with climate, uh, climate change. We are unconcreting, um, um, to, to put some flowers, to put some trees and especially to focus on the retention issues because Łódź is uh, located on the water thread. So we are the city that is in um, future in the threat of, uh, flooding, drought or oh, drought. Drought. We are, we are, we, we have flooding, but when there is a heavy rain, but uh, mainly the city is very, the, the land is very dry. So we do everything to unconcrete to keep the water in the surface. <clears throat> we are also doing some uh, workshops for beekeepers and also um, inhabitants can take part in these workshops. This is top workshop in our city. We are also doing some social campaigns uh, for for air quality. Uh, we are doing some donations for the citizens so they can um, plant some trees or some other greenery, or they can also install some um, devices for retention or some solutions for further retention. And uh, finally, I think that the last project that is, I think, very worth mentioning we call it Lamus. Lamus is a, a river. Because, you know, to explain you something more about Łódź, Łódź in Polish, it means boat. Exactly. This is the exact uh, translation, the meaning of the, of the name. But uh, nowadays, we do not have any river in Łódź. Because all the rivers were put in the sewage system in historical times, uh, so nowadays, all the, all the rivers that are small rivers, around 20 small rivers, they are going underneath in the sewage system or, or underneath. But there are a few of them that can be uh, taken out. So we created a concept uh, for one of such rivers. This is a Lamus River. 
and we will put it out so that the water and the river can be visible. And we will also, I don't know if it can be said in, in English, we'll meander it. It means we will not make it straight. So we will meander it and it will be uh, given back to people. And we will also give a special um, donation uh, directly from, from the European Parliament. So this is the only Polish project directly in the budget of the European Parliament because they saw such an incredible value of this project, like on one hand the ecological one, and on the other hand, we are also doing something what we call um, a model of uh, managing the water in the city. So uh, next to this park where we will put the river out, uh, there is also a street where we will put a special system only to collect rainwater. And we've already involved all, almost all the stakeholders um, on this street to put their water from the, the roof water to this dedicated system to um, put the water also to the Lamos River. The daylighting of the river made me think again of my home city of Providence and how we're discovering similar solutions to a century and a half of environmental abuse. What's remarkable in Wuch is that business has come full circle and is now part of the solution. That sounds like a wonderful project to uncover the river. It will be a centerpiece for the city, I think. Yes. I love that there will be a meander. And it's complicated because you're working with so many jurisdictions. And I love that the businesses are taking part in it. Yes, this is our, I think, I will not lie if I say that our city uh, has the biggest number of uh, business partners for eco and environmental actions involved. Right now, um, because my department was created three and a half years ago, and uh, during the first year, nobody cared. When I spoke with the companies and they say, okay, okay, yeah, 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 maybe someday, you know. But then for the last two years, we've involved 60 companies or even more. Wow, that's a credit to you, I bet. I hope so. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I, I will not stop, you know. So, so they get it. They get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, we also had such an um, um, square, small square, because I mean, we, I mean that which does not have a square, I mean a big square, but some smaller squares we, we do have. And it was also one big concrete. And I spoke with one company and I said, oh, maybe you will be involved, so we will do something to unconcrete it. And then the other company sa said, I also want to be involved in it. And that's how I collected six companies for this square. Yes. So uh, I hope that in the coming years or maybe months, it will be passé not to be involved in, in such actions. That's right. They don't want to be left behind. Yeah, the train is all, already on the move. So <laughs> you have to get in or you will stay behind. Yeah? That's right. Taking into account all that you've said, what does the presence of this tree symbolize? Strength. Uh, for, for me, it symbolizes strength. And it also symbolizes for our city that no matter what will happen, you can survive. Because if you see the tree and it still stands and it still blossoms and it's still so popular, it's for our city, for, for me personally, it means that you can survive everything. We were the country which was really um, badly treated in the historical times after uh, world wars. And we were also the, the city which was in a very difficult times after the, war, uh, the world war because the, uh, all the workers, they left. And the unemployment was so big and uh, all the uh, cotton workers, which were mainly women, they were out of their jobs. They had nothing to do. And, you know, in historical times when um, there were also different cities with some problems, but they went to protest to the capital, to the, for, for the government to help them. And 
women from Łódź, they stayed home. So we, we are also sometimes saying that we are left on our own, but we still had the strength to, to get up and to, to move forward and, and to survive. So for, for me, this tree on one hand is a symbol of strength and a long lasting journey that can be finally a journey with a victory uh, at the end. And it also symbolizes the strength of nature, which personally is important for me. Circling back to Adam Holub, the coordinator of the European Tree of the Year contest, I asked him again about its purpose. At the end of the day, it is not our aim to have a competition uh, between countries submitting their trees. It, it, that's why the word competition itself, I don't really like to use it uh, too much in relation to the to the tree. And actually, if I if I talk about it in Czech, I usually use the word anketa rather than rather than uh, sokesh, which would be competition. So it's more, for me, it's more of a survey, if if you know what I mean. And it's 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 about learning about those about those stories. So that's why we have all of them there on the website so that people can actually learn a little bit about the communities and the trees and the places where they are growing. Yeah, and if people understand it as such, then we've done something right. And then I asked Przemek Bartos, the original submitter and tireless promoter of the Fabrikan Oak, check out the video he made in addition to his blog. I asked him what the tree means to him. For me, it's, uh, uh, for example, a symbol of of uh, situation when we uh, we can uh, show that uh, nature's no no borders uh, of course uh, but uh, in my opinion nature's uh, is the best teacher and Jacek Bozek had some final thoughts to share is a very important uh, what, what what trees do in your life yeah when I was very, very young, when I was a child, I, 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 I was a very sick person, sick child. And for many, many years even, I stayed in, uh, in the bed and I saw only one tree from my, from my window. It was, you know, very important time when you see the tree... Uh, in springtime and summertime and then wintertime, we have the really winter time in my region with a lot of snow. And sometimes it was only my one friend for many, many, for many uh, years. It's a, it, it was something like personality. And I, I feel that every tree have personality. But if you see tree like Fabricant, big, really big, wonderful tree, and you see the power of this uh, of this tree, and you feel that this is the uh, part of the history, part of the history, this is something like, of course, tree cannot talk to you, tree ca- cannot tell you stories. You able to tell the stories. You're hard able to uh, tell the stories. And this is the witness. This is witness of our life. This is witness of of our activity. Sometimes this is witness of our strategy. And this tree still existing. This is incredible. Normally, it's not too easy uh, be a a European uh, championship. (laughs) <laughs> we have something special. We have the beautiful, wonderful uh, uh, oak fabricant in our in our city. That the trees are part of our history and the part of our future. There's a founding legend of Poland. Once upon a time, there were three brothers: Lech, Czech, and Rus. Because of their wisdom, they led their families and they lived in harmony. But the time came when the land could no longer feed their people. There was no game in the forests and no fish in the river. So they met and decided to seek new lands for their tribes. 
Rus found the area we now know as Russia, with vast plains and rivers, and Czech found fertile land to the south. But Lech went eastward. His tribe entered dense forests, full of animals and rivers that abounded with fish. Suddenly, Lech heard some noise, and a huge shadow moved over the clearing. Curious people raised their heads. They saw an eagle slowly descending on a nest located in the crown of a large oak tree. In the early evening, the bird's silhouette stood out in sharp white against the red sky. It's a sign from the gods, people shouted in unison. It's a good omen, said Lech, smiling. We'll settle down here, and this wonderful bird will protect us. A thousand years ago, this became the coat of arms for Poland, a white eagle on a red background, and don't forget that oak tree. Through hardship, the tribe saw a sign of a better future. Every Pole knows this story. Without the need for long historical explanations on websites and promotional material, I think the people of Wuch and Poland know intuitively how the Fabricant Oak fits into their story. Its long arm has reached out to remind them to tell it to the rest of us. I'd like to thank my inspiring guests, Adam Holub, Chemek Bartos, Jacek Bozek, and Anna Verzbitska for coming on the show. I hope I didn't completely fail in pronouncing words from your language. Please find information about them and links to their organizations in the show notes, and visit Facebook and Instagram to see some great photos of the tree that they've shared. Thanks to Maria McCauley for her reading of The Promised Land, and for sharing her research into the history of Poland. David Still II was the consulting editor, and Dee Lee sings the theme music. The piano music you've been listening to is, of course, by the great Polish composer Chopin. The last piece is performed by Arthur Rubinstein, born in Łódź to a Jewish family in 1887. His father was the owner of a small factory. I'm Doug Still. Join me next time for This Old Tree. <laughs>